Hello and welcome to Smoke and Burn. I'm Casey Gresson, and today I've got a, a special guest with me. Uh, I'd like to meet uh, Brett Baker from Sandler Training. How you doing, Brett? Oh, I'm better than I deserve, probably, Casey. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. There's not a lot of people that say that right now. <laughs> well, I'm feeling it probably more today than ever, so it's cool. <laughs> so, uh, Brett and I, we... I kind of met you through some of the other BG distributorships that you're working with. Yeah. Um, if you've listened to several episodes of this podcast, you'd know that a lot of people that have been on here have talked about Sandler training and how it's helped them, you know, uh, really get a better grasp on the sales process and stuff. Uh, Brett, how did you end up with Sandler? Yeah. So, um, in a really quick nutshell, Casey, because I know people probably don't really truly care about this, but I spent about nine years of in my 20s to 30 running over a dozen full service car wash locations with Jiffy Loops hooked to them. And so um, played that management game with 500 employees for that decade. Got tired of that a little bit candidly and went and found a sales job because I thought the salespeople made more money. And uh really spent some time doing what I would call traditional sales in some different industries, business to business. But I came across, um, when I was franchising in a business, I came across Sandler training because we were selling a, a franchise that was $60,000 to start. Then we would be teaching the people how to do that franchise out in, in home sales. Well, I got a hold of the Sandler training process and candidly, I just became eat up with it. So over a period of time being around that, I, I decided to buy the rights to Southwest Missouri. And so now that puts me as the owner of Sandler Training. And that was probably back in um, 07 as I formally got around Sandler Training. So it just hit me and we can talk about it, but it, I just became eat up with it because it was all about building trust and I never felt like I had to sell somebody something. So it was kind of different. Yeah. So you work with several different BG distributorships and you're kind of their, their Sandler rep, but Sandler is a lot broader than just the automotive field. Uh, what, what other types of clients do you have? Yeah. So Sandler, I don't know if this would be anywhere on the, on the internet, but Sandler is without a doubt the number one sales training, um, process in the world. And, uh, I suppose that that's, You'd have to validate that, but it it is really designed for somebody that's having a conversation with someone who's got to sell somebody something, and then it's designed to support that person from a management process. So it doesn't matter, Casey, whether you're a CPA that's hanging your own shingle and you have to make a call to somebody. It doesn't mean if you're a large stainless steel operation, you might be selling software. Uh, manufacturers to service-based business. Anybody who's got to have a conversation where they want to build some trust and put the pressure on the trust building process, not always the features and benefits of selling, it can work in any industry. I'm surprised even every day I go to work, there's some other industry that comes in that has to sell something to somebody and it works for them. It's not for everybody as a general statement because there's some things in it that that'll put people out of their comfort zone, but it's not arm twisting sales stuff. It's trust building stuff. It's going to the elephant in the room type conversations. So, um, but it works for anybody. I, I don't know if I've come across an industry where it doesn't work for. Yeah, no, I've, 
So I read the uh, the initial Sandler training book. Uh, yeah. Can't teach a kid to ride a bike at a seminar. Yeah. Right. And uh, between that and you know hours and hours of conversations with Steve right. Tingle, Mike right. Lasuso, and and some of the other guys that you know I, I talk to on a regular basis, yeah. I have kind of a rudimentary grasp of of some of the concepts of Sandler, but that is one of the things that struck me about it is it's, you know, we, we at all of us that are in sales, you know, at some point have been trained to, you know, talk about features and benefits at nauseum, right. you know, until the, t- until the customer understands the value of the product that we're, we're proposing and ask for, and, you know, and then to ask for the sale. And that's a lot different than what the Sandler process is. Right. Well, if I can just speak to that for a second, and for any of your listeners who are listening, uh, I might say some things that we might have to customize for a service drive in the car business, but just high level, 30,000 feet, a sales process. Casey, if you asked 100 people, what's the first thing that comes to their mind when they think of a salesperson? And at 98 of them will think a negative word. 70 <laughs> of them will probably start with the letter S. And uh, it's so interesting how people have a negative connotation when they think of a salesperson. So who's ever listening to this, I'm sure you had a word pop in your head. Well, what what that word, why they feel that way is it's because some salesperson in their life showed them something, shared a feature, a benefit, and went for the close. Sometimes it works and people buy. Most of the time people will say, well, let me think it over or I got to talk to so-and-so, or they give us some, we call a lie or some, some excuse or reason not to do it. And uh, the problem is, is that it's the salesperson's idea, not the customer's idea to buy. So Sandler is a process that plays, puts a lot of the pressure on disqualifying. And that's going to be weird to some people listening to that because traditional sales, I'll call it, qualifies people by showing the features and benefits and closing. Sandler is going to want you to disqualify them to find out what's the reasons they would even change. We probably got to talk through money, resources, and time and understand how you make decisions. Then let's show you a solution and it's okay to say no. So again, just high level, we tend to disqualify people because we want to find out those three things, their motivation to change, money, time, and resources, and what's their decision process look like. If those all line out, then let's show them a solution if that's what they're asking us to do. So that's what makes it tough. That's what makes it's not for everybody because some people feel like they'd rather just show up, throw up, and go for the close and hope. Where Sandler kind of takes hope out of the sales process. So it sounds logical, Casey. It sounds intellectual, makes sense, but it can be uncomfortable for people to hold that in their pocket and not solve. So it's different. (laughs) Well, and the disqualifying customers, I think makes a lot of sense when each of us, you know, really thinks back on some of our interactions with customers. Yeah. Uh, I think every BG guy that's been at this for a while has a story about someone who wanted us to come in, right? They asked for it. We, we settled them in on a program and, we got in the door and then realized that they were so unequipped to do, to be successful with our program yep. that, you know, it, it just ends up sitting around and, and more or less, you know, 
a waste of time and eventually you buy that product back. Right. You know, Casey, I've just in the last, I don't know, three or four years, I've heard several BG reps who don't, some of them, this is early on studying Sandler. They really don't know any difference, but they'll, they'll tell me that they go and they do the demo. They get the, the independent owner of the car dealership to put that product or BG products on the shelf. Some of them roll out a full initiative program and they come back two weeks later and nobody sold anything. I mean, there's literally dust on the fuel kit. And so <laughs> what's happening is, is that my aha was, is that I thought BG territory guys sold BG, but they really don't. They just convince an owner or a dealership leadership to get it on the shelf. The service advisor or the guy in the lobby of the independent really is the one that sells BG. And that's where it breaks down. BG's not on trial. The research and development proves it over and over. It's, it's, it's awesome. What breaks down is the belief or the comfortability of the sales process in the dealership service drive or in the independent lobby. So to kind of dive a little deeper on that particular point, um, what are some of the ways in which you train guys to to disqualify customers, to make sure they're talking to someone who's a good potential client. Yeah. So if we're not talking about the service drive, if we're just talking about a BG rep that's out there calling on a new independent owner or calling on a dealership that doesn't uh, have BG, and sometimes you're calling on those people, Casey, that are already have a maintenance program with one of the competitors, or some of them aren't doing maintenance or focusing on it. That could be a different strategy there. But what most people try to do is keep, pull that door, walk in, and they feel pressure to talk about BG. They feel like they have to tell them about BG, the features and benefits, and they try to get a demo. And what's happening when they're telling them how great BG is, the features and benefits, it's coming out of their mouth. And that mouth is a salesperson. And so it goes back to that thing is people don't believe salespeople. People support their own ideas the most. They resist others, especially salespeople. So us as salespeople, we, we got to stop giving our opinion and stop doing features and benefits selling. What we need to do is test that independent owner, test that dealership service manager or leader. Are they open to change? Are they happy or are they not happy? If they're running a maintenance program, are they happy and they're getting what they're wanting? If they don't have maintenance, are they open to talking about offering maintenance and what's the upside and the downside of that? It's not really about BG. We're not there yet. BG is technically page eight. We're still back here in page one trying to uncover is there interest or a desire to have it or are they in pain of not getting what they wanted or what they thought would be at this point? So from a selling aspect of adding a new independent or a new dealership, there's two strategies. One is to go in, show up, do a demo and hope. The other strategy is to hold back and understand why would they even want to change or add maintenance. And the skill set's different. So you've obviously have trained a lot of BG reps on some of these processes and, um, one of the things that's interesting about Sandler when you, you know, if you read the book and you start going through like your YouTube channel and stuff is that there's a, a large list of Sandler selling rules, you know, and yeah. there's a lot of emphasis in the book about keeping track of where you are in the sales process, which I think a lot yeah. of us struggle with. I mean, 
Yeah. Starting out with a new BG rep that hasn't dealt with Sandler before, you know, or really outside of BG, what, what are some of the first principles that you confront them with about their selling process? Yeah. Great, great question. I, I, I met a, um, a brand new BG rep didn't really come from the car business way up North in our two continents. And, uh, he was a fired up guy and his mindset, his belief was, is to go in and prospect and be really fired up, really polished, know all the answers to everything and almost be overly happy and fired up. And so one of the principles of beginning that process is to do the opposite. Now that's going to be blasphemy for some people hearing that, but what's the opposite of super fired up? The opposite is not necessarily super bummed out. It's just probably a management to be the same or a little less okay than the person that you're pulling that door with talking to. So if you walk into an independent and the owner's there and you're talking to the owner or the service manager or dealership, you got to probably be a little bit philosophically not okay compared to them. So if some of you are listening to that thinking, what's that mean? If they say, can I help you? You don't say, hey, I'm with BG and I'm fired up to show you our stuff. See, you're more okay than they are. If they say, can I help you? Not okay is I'm not sure. I'm not even sure if it makes sense for us to talk. Can I take a step back and tell you why I walked in? Can I take a step back and tell you why I'm prospecting you? It's more, Casey, about being a little more not okay than they are. And let's build trust with that person rather than try to sell them in the first nine seconds. So so in your initial contact with them, you want to just be reserved, right? Yeah. Or, or even a touch more of a struggle, probably, probably even a little bit of a struggle. And that's a, that's a weird concept to some people because we're not taught to struggle. We're taught to be okay. We're taught to don't let them see a sweat. We're taught to be polished and professional and awesome and know everything about everything. And, and to hear me sit there and say, to go in and struggle a little bit and make them a little more okay than you are. is kind of a weird thing. That's not for everybody. So what is the response that you're anticipating with that strategy? Well, the, the response, the feeling I wanted to trigger is that they're more okay than me because see when salespeople come a call and people go not okay. So when a salesperson comes a call and they act different than all the other ones, they're actually okay and they actually trust more. So the, the, what I'm really, truly, ultimately trying to build is b- building blocks of trust. The more trust moments I can build, the more they'll drop their guard and be open to telling me the truth. Because here's the thing, Casey, for anybody listening to this call, they've heard the English slang, all buyers are liars, meaning prospects lie. They can still go to heaven. <laughs> I mean, it's the 11th commandment. You can lie to salespeople and go to heaven. But when you act differently, it actually, they, they say to themselves subconscious, subconsciously, maybe I can trust this person. He's not trying to sell me something I don't want or don't need. So when that happens and you get a little bit of trust, they say, well, what do you got? What, well, how can I help you? Yeah, well, what are you selling? Or, and they actually want to rescue you a little bit. So, so you're kind of subverting their expectations of what a salesman is going to do and say, 
right? You're you're taking them off balance a little bit, and yes. that, in theory, that uh, that prop you know that that puts them in a place where they want to find out more, right? They want to hear exactly what what about it is giving you reservations. That's it. You're you're saying it better than I am, Casey. You're saying subvert expectations. We kind of call it. Let's interrupt the Marco Polo. Meaning, if I say Marco, your listeners right now are thinking Polo in their head. It's an automatic trigger. Mm-hmm. It's the first thing in their brain. So when I come in and say, "Hey, how you doing?" Their automatic trigger says you're going to sell me something. And see, they put me in the sales box right now. So when I walk in and I struggle and I'm not overly happy and I'm say, "Hey, is Bob around?" And you know Bob's the owner, and the guy says, "I'm Bob. Bob." You don't know me. I'm making a cold call here. Do you want me to leave now or can I tell you why you're on my radar? See, Bob could say, I want you to leave or he could, but they don't. Most of the time they laugh and they go, sure, what what do you got? And why are they laughing? Is because you actually gave them an out. You actually emphasize that it's nose okay. So it interrupts the Marco Paul. Marco Polo, it, it subverts their expectation. They're expecting you to sell them and you don't. And it's so weird to them. So what's the byproduct? Trust. So at this point, you've, you've opened the door a little bit for that prospect to hear what you have to say. Obviously, yeah. what we're not going to do at this point is go into a big features and benefits explanation on what we do. What, where do you take them from there? Yeah. Um, and this is where, Casey, sometimes I struggle with this because um, it, it gets into really what the differences are. And sometimes it's the secret sauce. But I've realized in my in my journey over the last 13, 15 years is that people struggle with doing it. Even though they know the strategy, they still struggle with doing it. But here's here's the answer to your question is you don't start doing features and benefits of BG. You give them a 30-second synopsis or commercial about what you've seen in the field or what you've worked with, with other shop owners or other dealerships. And you talk about where their gaps are. We call it pain. You don't talk features and benefits. You talk about the gaps and how we fill them. So for example, if somebody, if an independent owner is using a competitor, but they haven't seen them for six months, what we might say is I'm talking to independent owners that have a maintenance program, but they haven't seen their, their person for six months and they're disappointed purpose. of me calling on you is see if you're, you're one of those guys, maybe you're not. Hmm. So you, you tap into what they're lacking, what they're missing. And why do we do that is because uncovering someone's gap is probably 10 times more motivating for them to change than to show them the gain of BG products. Right. It's he's not on trial. It's not, it's, it's just the problem. It's just page eight. And I'm still back here on page two trying to figure out, do they even want to know about BG? So how can BG help me might be a question that you're answering at some point during the sales process, but our instinct is to do that right at the beginning. Right. Trying to get the, you're trying to prompt the customer to, to ask that question themselves first. Right. So Casey, let's stay here. Can we just, can we just talk about that question for a second? Sure. Here's the crust of the whole thing is if somebody said, well, why should I switch to BG? Why would I use BG? And most of the salespeople, when they hear that, the BG guys, 
they hear that, that's code for to start preaching and telling them about BG. My gosh, the guy's asking, why should I use BG? Why should I switch to BG? Here's my moment. I'm going to tell them everything I know about BG, and that's what, and then, then we hope they buy. But that's not how you build trust when somebody says, well, why should I use BG? The truth would be, maybe you shouldn't. Now, Otterroll, that could be blasphemy. I'm sure if the guys in the leadership at BG heard that, they go, this guy's crazy. But you see, I'm really getting you to think about what's happening rather than teach someone to sell. I don't teach anybody to sell, Casey. Everybody knows how to sell. It's features and benefits. What I'm trying to get people to do is think about the sales process differently. So if an independent owner or a dealership looked at me and said, hey, why should I switch to BG? I would say, oh, I'm not so sure you should. The questions now have to come from, why do I, why do I say that? Because just because somebody asked me why they should do BG doesn't mean that they should do BG. If they don't have leadership in place, if they don't have belief and maintenance in place, if they don't believe in taking care of the customers long-term to fix costly repairs in the future, to maintain their vehicles, BG may not be for them. I mean, let's just, the elephant in the room is BG's not for everybody. There's some crusty old tech out there that thinks that it's, it's, it's snake oil. They have need, that's because some old guy told them that 20 years ago and they believed him. They don't even get the, the, the research and development of chemistry around an engine and maintaining that engine and all the things around the engine. So just because someone says, why should I switch to BG? The truth is maybe you shouldn't. Then what comes next is I permission. Can I have permission to ask you some questions about your business and, and what you believe? Then when we're done, we'll see if it even makes sense to talk about BG. I'm not so sure it does yet. I'm still back here on page one. That's page eight. So, so, yeah, so again, you know, kind of, but Casey, time, time out, time out. Is that crazy to you even hearing that? Is that weird? No, I mean, I, I, I'm following you. It's, uh, I think it is hard to digest for some of us that have been through some traditional sales training, you know? I know it. That's why I even struggled coming on here because I'm sure you got some listeners out there in the BG game is going, who is this guy? He's an idiot. That's not the way it works out there. Well, I think ultimately your goal here is, right, again, to, to subvert the customer's expectations of what this sales call is going to be like, right? And then if this is going to be a successful call, that call is going to be mostly the customer talking about their business rather than you talking about BG. I mean, I think that's a concept that we all that's with, it. right? Yep. And that's, and that's our ultimate goal, but it starts with that pattern interrupt. You got, you can't act like a traditional salesperson and hope you get to the real stuff. You got to act different from the beginning. Otherwise they're going to force you into a demo, get product on the shelf and dust on it. And then, then that puts us in our whole conversation of the service drive or the independent lobby sales process. I think that term pattern interrupt really like that, that describes what, what you're trying to do here better than anything, right? It's, it's to just, yeah. this guy sees, you know, 15 salespeople a month that are in there trying to sell him something that are featuring benefiting him to death you know, when he really doesn't even want to have that conversation with him, the timing's wrong. He's in the middle of some other things. Yeah. The pattern interruption is, is what yep. sets you apart. And if that customer is open to, to change, the conversation is going to continue further. Yep. That's it. Cause again, you got to remember they lie 
all the time and they can still go to heaven. So I got to be able to have the skill set to be aware of when they're just telling me what I want to hear. I mean, I just had a service manager yesterday tell me that when somebody comes in to sell him whatever, not just automotive stuff, but just whatever in that shop, that he doesn't ever, he never tells them no. He just tells them, hey, I, I'll think about it. I'll let you know. But he doesn't say no because he doesn't want to hurt them. So he lies. Now, he doesn't see it as a lie, but he's lying. Why, why doesn't he just say, no, that's not for me today. Thank you. But he says, ah, okay, thanks. I appreciate you calling me. Well, I'll think it over and I'll, I'll let you know or check back with me. We might possibly consider that some point down the road. See, it's all that wishy-washy English slang stuff. And salespeople, if they're not trained, they do the Tommy boy and go, okie dokie. And they go back to their boss and say, hey, I got one. And they really don't. They're in la-la land. Right. So does this tie into the concept of uh, mutual mystification? Is that is that sort of what we're touching on here? Or am I misunderstanding yeah. that term? That's it. That's it. You're bringing up a Sandler, classic Sandler rule in the beginning is no mutual mystification. And it starts with that interruption of that pattern and uh, getting to the truth. And and then, then it's just the game of never, you're always talking about the elephants in the room. You're always struggling. You're always going into the future and bringing it back. Um, yeah, you never want that other person to be mystified in what you're doing or what you're talking about. So another you know, term in, in like the Sandler training stuff that, that gets used a lot is staying left. Yeah. Can, can you kind of, cause I feel like that's a, that touches on what we're talking about now. Can you explain what that means? Yeah. Um, let me try to do it in a high level and you see if it's, if it's enough, but if you can envision a clock and a prospect six o'clock could be neutral. Three o'clock would be sold or yes, they're switching to BG. Nine o'clock is it's over. So four and five o'clock would be somewhat interested. Seven or eight o'clock is not interested. What left means is what it, traditionally, if someone's at neutral, traditionally, if I pull that hour hand up to three o'clock with features and benefits and hope they buy, physics says when you let go of that pendulum, it will fall back the other way. So again, if, if the clock's at six o'clock and I move the hands up to three o'clock and hope it stays there with features and benefits, if I let go, the pendulum tends to fall down. Staying left is rather than doing that, let's interrupt the pattern and understand their beliefs around maintenance before we get to BG means let's pull that six o'clock to 603, 605. Let's pull it to the left a little bit, let go and see if it swings over to interested. It's kind of what you just said, Casey, Casey, is if if they are interested, they'll want to talk more. If they're not, it's over. Right. And it seems to me so that's a, when I think back on some of the sales calls and stuff over the years that I've had, you know, it's, there's been situations where I feel like I unknowingly did something similar to that. You know, when, when it's all on the table and the customer is waffling, you know, you, you pull the candy back a little bit. Yep. Well, you know, Mr. Customer, I'm, you know, if, if, if price is, you know, that big of a concern to you, then this might not be the best fit for you guys, you know, and then usually counter with, no, 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 no. I mean, you know, we're just, I'm just saying it's, you know, something we got to think about. 
Right. So in that respect, that's been around for decades. We call that the takeaway. You may, I might just be putting names on it. And you're right, Casey, that is a form of staying left of the prospect on the pendulum. And they, they, but they take, you take it away. Staying left though, is something that's really subconscious. Almost it's, it's very, it's a, how do I want to say if it's underneath the water is what we call it. You don't really know you're doing it, but it's all throughout the process. Can you stay a little left of them? Here's another way to look at it. We don't want to get in front of the prospect on the pendulum. If he's at six o'clock, we don't want to be over there at four, four thirty, pulling him up to three o'clock. We want to always be very mindful of he needs to take us to three o'clock sold, not us. So it's all throughout the process. It's not over-exaggerated. It's not weird. It's more or less a conceptual thing that you're you're navigating where you are in the process and it's not getting in front of them. So we say, hey, we got to stay a little left of them. So for example, if somebody on this podcast is saying, what's that sound like in that early prospecting part? When I say, hey, I'm looking for Bob. I'm Bob. Bob, Brett Baker, is this a bad time to prospect you? Should I leave? See, when I say, should I leave, that's me staying a little left. Hey, Bob, this is Brett Baker. You don't know me. Can I tell you why I'm walking in your store or do you want me to leave now? Hey, Bob, I'm Brett with BG Products. You're probably happy with your maintenance program. There's no reason for us to talk. Hey, Bob, it's Brett Baker. I'm prospecting you today for maintenance. Do you want me to pound sand now or are you open to a quick conversation? Don't hear my words, Casey. It's the concept of being okay with no. Right. Now, you are going to get customers that are going to say, uh, yeah, I don't have time for that today. And they're going to, you know, push you out the door. And I think that is where you get to the concept of, uh, of getting to the no quickly. Am I right? The, yep. Yep. And that's part of that qualification process. Yes. So, and no doesn't mean no forever, right? Some salespeople, their whole self-esteem is based on that yes. And they're devastated if they get a no. Where it, he might not be saying no to you or BG. He's just saying no. Now it's not the right time. And maybe I live for another day and stop in later. Maybe I say, okay, if it's not a good time, what should I do? Well, can you come back next week? Okay, sure. What day are you looking at? Do you really want me to come back? Or are you just saying that to get me out of here? I'm okay with either. See, the elephant in the room is, is he just saying, come back, so I leave, and then he can avoid me? Or does he really want me to come back? Sometimes they say, no, it's just a bad time. I've got Thursday afternoon free. I can talk. Right. They, Sometimes. I feel like yeah. we've all gotten, uh, you know, we are just swamped this month. Uh, why don't you touch base with me next month, and we'll we'll go from there. And we're like, okay, all right, so I'm setting an appointment in my calendar for next month. You know, and 90% of the time, that guy is just like, get out of here. He doesn't want to be rude and say, I don't want to talk to you, but he he teases you with this false hope. Yep. I sometimes think, I I know this might be weird, but sometimes the prospect of an independent owner or a service manager, when they got eight cars in line, is not the time to even try. You know, we got to really be strategic on when, when's the right time. Right. Uh, it, yeah. any way that this guy's in the right headspace for me to talk to him, right? That's it. That's it. Now, maybe we do other things before we walk in on him. I don't know. So this, this part of the, uh, this concept. So I was talking to uh, Casey Stanton a lot about yeah. um, the sales processes that, that, you know, he's used Sandler to put in place at one of his dealers and they use yeah. a very similar type of, you know, uh, conversation with, customers that are on the drive, right? Yeah. Say, yes. you know, you're, 
Mr. Customer, you're at 30,000 miles. That's a pretty important service interval. Do you want me to go over what's due on your car today or do you want me to skip it? Yeah. And the idea there being that if a customer says, you know, I don't now nah, just just write me up for mileage. Like there's nothing you are going to say after that that was going to probably switch that, you know, change that person's mind. Well, yeah, and I'm sure there's somebody out there that has said something or overcame that that thing and it worked. But again, I'm probably one of those guys, Casey, I'm so so aware of person's okayness. I don't want to fall out of rapport. I want to build trust. So what Casey's really honing that skill with there and Casey Stanton that you're referencing is he's really taking his theory of knows okay into the service drive process. So, so meaning, so think about it this way, Casey, high level, people don't trust the car business. They tend to not, I'm saying a generality here, so don't take me literal, sure. but a lot of people don't trust car sales. They don't trust the car service side. The customer's coming in and they're, they're not excited because they got to fix something. And then their fear is they're going to be sold other stuff. And then you got the other side of the coin where the advisor has pressure to sell. I mean, I just had an independent owner tell me two weeks ago, my techs are scared to death to sell somebody something. So you have these two dynamics of pressure coming together. And what Casey Stan is studying is, is saying, how can we take that pressure away for both parties? Hey, Mrs. Johnson, appreciate you coming in. Thanks for trusting us with your car. I noticed you were at that 30,000 mark. I don't want to assume can I share what we recommend on that? Or do you want me to skip that today? It's okay. I don't want you to feel pressure. Hey, Mrs. Johnson, can I run through this? Or do you want to wait till next time? I'm okay with either. Whatever the words are, don't hear my words out there, you guys, in this podcast. Hear the concept that no is okay and embrace the no. Talk about no. And the customer will actually appreciate it. And it almost makes them more sticky. Why? Because they trust you. And they're not used to trusting people in this business. Well, and at, at that point, you know, if that customer says, oh, no, well, no, what's, what's due, you know, and you explain it to them and they end up purchasing that package, like they, yes. they own that purchase, you know, I mean, nobody coerced them into it or convinced them to do it. Like they're, they've been 100% responsible for that decision from, from step one forward. Yep. So people might be thinking, well, what's the deal there? The magic is the customer didn't feel sold. They had the, all the power because you gave them the option of the, to say no. Um, I had I had a very successful BG rep tell me a story that a, a lady came in for a warranty work and she was in the lobby and the advisor, his belief system said, well, she's just warranty. She's not going to buy anything else. See, he didn't even go there and get permission to talk about it. He just assumed she's there for warranty. She's not going to pay for anything. See, that's that advisor's comfort zone, which you got to deal with at some point. But this successful BG rep that's understanding this stuff, he walks into the lobby and says, Mrs. Johnson, we got your warranty work going. We forgot to ask you if you wanted to look at some of the oil change options or did you want to, it's okay to say not today or skip that. We're okay. It doesn't matter either way. Just want to make sure you're aware we could do that while you're here. She looked at the menu and picked the $250 oil change. The BG rep walks back out in the, in the shop and the advisor is blown away. Couldn't believe it. See, BG's not on trial. RIM process isn't on trial. 
Sandler's not on trial. It's the advisor's got to get comfortable with taking the pressure off of the process. If we can figure that out, they'll go to levels they've never dreamed. And that example, they proved it. I think, I think we all probably agree to some extent that most of the reason that advisors don't sell is because they don't ask. And I've kind of, you know, the, the more I've thought about this, the more I think that a big part of the reason they don't ask is that the anxiety associated with that sales scenario, right? They're, they're afraid of that prospect who absolutely doesn't want anything and is going to be annoyed right. and irritated and, you know, right. scenario. I, I think that like that qualification process and taking the pressure off of the advisor by selling them, you know, hey, it's, it's, it's all right to be told no. Man, you've, you know, if you if you gave the customer the option to make their own decision, you've you've done your job, you know. That's it. Yeah, I don't know how many times Casey I've heard a BG person say that the advisors say, "Well, we really don't have time." Here, here's what it sounds like. Hey, man, how's it going? Hey, I'm good. Hey, I didn't have a chance to sell your stuff last week. We we're just too busy. Oh, really? Okay, what else is going on? Well, you know, I also think that it's probably a it's probably too expensive. I just don't think they're going to pay for that. <laughs> well, what's happening, Casey, is what you're just saying is the customer never even has a chance for that opportunity. So the advisor walks out. He's too busy in his brain, and he believes they're not going to pay for it. So what he does, he doesn't do the meet and greet and walk around. He doesn't do the process. He doesn't even ask for permission to share. So if we can get a hold of that guy's head and get him to at least give us permission to talk about it, we get him to self-discover, he's judging something that's not real. It doesn't, it only takes seconds to ask for permission to show a menu or go through the RIM process. And who we, we really, we are not in charge of the customer's wallet. It's unkind for us to think that we're going to control whether they think something's expensive or not. So once the person starts to go, oh, I see, I'm the one really blocking the process, then we get the guy to be comfortable enough to go out and say, hey, in his brain, I do have time to ask this customer. So what comes out of their mouth is, hey, I don't want to assume you want to take the time today. Maybe you skip it to next time. It's certainly okay to tell me no, but do you want us to run through what we what we discovered that needs immediate needs or something in the future? Hey, Mrs. Johnson, it's okay to say no, but can we tell you what we recommend on 50,000 miles or should we skip that today? So you and I talking about, Casey, it sounds real logical, but you, the whole game is to get the advisor out of his own way. Right crazy. So another thing I was going to ask you about is uh, the the rule of uh, sell today, educate tomorrow. I feel like that's one that BG reps have a particularly hard time with. Uh, what, what exactly does that mean? Yeah. So it, it, let me come back in the normal sales process. If, if somebody is selling something and the person's coming, they're having a conversation with, has this one little issue. We'll call it issue X. What happens when salespeople start to get done with the sales process and they've done a good job dealing with issue X and they have a solution for X, what they do is they'll also tell the customer about Y and Z. And what happens to the customer, they get a little bit overwhelmed and confused and they don't have all the data. So they actually stop the sales process and then they want to think it over where they were ready to solve X when the salesperson thought they were doing a good job of also sharing Y and Z, but it actually screwed up the sales process. So it's the, so what's 
the rule says sell today, educate tomorrow. So in that example, let's sell and solve X, the problem with X, but let's educate about Y and Z tomorrow when they're a customer. I don't know how that relates to the service drive, but it'd be sort of like a BG guy having a conversation with an independent owner that wants to offer fuel products as maintenance. And then somewhere in the conversation, he starts telling about the other hundred products that BG has to offer and he loses the opportunity. <laughs> Let's sell the fuel product and get that on the shelf, get it trained in the service drive in the lobby and get it going. And then let's bring in the light kit or the, the air freshener thing later, you know? Right. I think it's, uh, you know, it's easy to get caught up in your, you know, when you realize you've got a guy who is a buyer, you know, he, he's hooked on this, this initial thing that you came in to talk about. It's, it's sometimes hard to resist the urge to like, man, this guy's primed and ready. Let's see what else he'll bite on. You know, right. it can quickly overwhelm them and undermine the, the trust that you yeah. built throughout that initial sales process. That's it. Now on the service drive, I mean, I, um, this week I heard a lady came in, she was the only car that hour because of all this COVID stuff and she bought four BG services. You know, so there's a person that had the budget and we got out of the way and maintaining your car at the highest level. And there's other people that probably need to have four services done, but they're only going to do one because of that's all they needed to do and solve this time. Let's do the other three maybe next time. So I think it's a mindset of an independent owner or dealership. It's not about the one conversation, one service today, that the appointment today. It's about the relationship and the life of that car and the next car and the next car. And if we can have a bigger picture of this, that's what makes CSI indexes go up. That's what makes customers sticky. That's what gets them to trust you and nobody else is when we don't try to get everything now. Let's sell the day and educate on the stuff in the relationship. Don't take it literal. Anything I say for you guys listening out there, don't take me literal. There's people are going to go up and do a bunch of services today because they have the money and it's important to them. Some people need to spread it out. So another one of the rules that I was looking at is um, product knowledge at the wrong time is intimidating. I think that yeah. that's one that uh, we all have to be aware of because especially in, in our field, you know, we're so, we're so like, conscious of that, you know, that's quote unquote snake oil perception. We want to legitimize what we're talking about. Right. And I think yep. we think yep. a lot of times we think that the more detail I can go into the, the more technical I can get with some of this stuff, the more it legitimizes what I'm saying. Yeah. So that, that's a powerful rule, isn't it? And some, and I, I got to admit to you, when I first read it, uh, my BS meter went off at, because I probably didn't really understand it. And because I was one of these guys that was trained in features and benefits selling. So if I tell them all the features and all the benefits of the product, you know, and I'm not doing my job, what it's, what's it mean? Wrong time is intimidating. That's the right time. So I really jacked with me on that. But really what it's saying is sometimes the more you know can hurt you. We have another rule that goes with that is know everything you can about your product and service. Just don't tell it. So if I could change the BG world, know everything you can about BG's product and services. Just don't tell it. What it's saying is don't tell it till the time's right. Because if you go in too fast, too much and all that, people get overwhelmed. And what comes out of their mouth is not, I'm overwhelmed. They say, okay, that sounds good. Uh, let me think it over. But what they're really saying is, 
I don't understand what the hell you're talking about. You know, so level, you know, calling on independents or dealerships or trying to get a product in that store that you've had for a couple of years. You got to speak like eighth grade education. You can't throw around too many BG buzzwords if they don't know what those buzzwords mean yet. I mean, one of your guys' classic buzzwords is EPR, right? <laughs> and some of you say it so much, you think the rest of the world knows what that is and they don't. So there's a certain population that's going to nod their head and make you think that they know what you're talking about, but they really don't. So they're going to dismiss you as soon as they can. So they feel better. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it's the same thing on the service drive. We've got to, we got to talk at a basic level, almost layman's terms with these people, not the fancy buzzwords because they'll go not okay. And they'll say, let me think it over or not today. I don't have time. And they won't tell you the truth. I don't understand. I got to talk to my wife. I got to talk to my husband. Hmm. Uh, what What do you mean? Like one of the ones that I I was a little less clear on uh, was start with the present to see the future. What do you, What do you mean by that? Oh gosh, that's that's kind of a different one for different industries, but. Um, I, my, my belief is, is if you can deal with what they're presently struggling with, it shows the future of what it could be without that struggle. So if somebody's not getting service from their maintenance rep, and now we're talking to BG and they're there training my guys, I want to, I want to really deal with what that present pain is. So they can actually see what it would be like to not have that. You mean you guys would actually come in and train my guys in the service drive? You do demos, you train on product. You just don't show up and leave something and check in on me every six months. So it's really dealing with um, dealing with right now. What's your gap? So just not looking too far ahead in the timeline. Um, when you're, when you're discussing those things with the customer. Yep. We get too far in the process. It goes back to why should I use BG? Well, maybe you shouldn't. I guess my question is, is can I ask you a couple of questions about what you're doing now? And then we'll see if it even makes sense to talk about BG. See, I got to, before I talk about BG in the future, I'll talk about what you're dealing with. Do you have a maintenance program? If you do, are you happy? If you're happy, there's no reason to talk about BG. Because some people are thinking, okay, does it just mean it's over? No, that's when we actually start. Well, now that I know you're happy and you're not going to use BG, can I ask you some questions? Yeah, you can ask me anything you want. And now we're going to go in and start poking. They just don't know it. So when you say you're happy with your maintenance program, it means that your maintenance template, they're there training your guys on the service drive and you're happy with the per car you're getting. Well, I wouldn't say that. Out of roll, we got him. What would you say? See, sometimes they tell us they're happy, but they really don't know what happy means until we start asking questions. Then they self-discover, I'm really not happy. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's a pretty common one. You know, it especially, you know, you go into dealerships that have been dealing with a competitor for, for a long time. They, they don't, they're not aware of yeah. how bad the level of service that they're getting really is. That's it. And so if they're right there, Casey, we can't go in and tell them that. We can't come in and tell them we're better. We've got to start asking them questions so they self-discover there's a whole nother level they're not reaching. I've literally had a BG rep that didn't understand Sandler. It's not his fault, but I, 
I remember doing a role play saying, well, why should I switch to BG? And the guy says, because BG's better. Well, here's the thing, you guys. He's not wrong. BG is better. Chemically, it's better. But it's coming out of the salesperson's mouth. So it's back on page one. People don't believe salespeople. So when it comes out of our mouth, there's no credibility. Even if you've been doing it for 20 years, you don't have any credibility because you're selling. I'm a sales guy and I don't have credibility to the average person because I'm in sales. They don't believe us till we start acting differently. Now, okay, so another, I'm kind of digging into a couple of these that I, I was not yeah. clear on. Um, yeah. What about never ask for the order? Oh, gosh, that drives people crazy, doesn't it? <laughs> so... <laughs> Because Casey, I remember being trained, you do features and benefits and you ask for the business. You show up, throw up and go for the close. You ask for the order. I've even had read some books that say you're an idiot. You're not even a salesperson if you don't have the guts to ask for the order. I get all that. I, there's a, probably places for that. But what the rule is saying is that's what strategy is, features and benefits and ask for the order. And I see it in the BG world and the service drive. Hey, we recommend this at 30,000 miles. Do you want to go ahead and take care of that today? And there's nothing wrong with it. Some people say, yeah, go ahead. It's not broken. But what it's really challenging you on is if you uncover the real reasons why somebody would change. I mean, if you walk into an independent or a dealership and you uncover really what's bugging them about maintenance, having it or not having it, and they go there with it, what if you don't have to ask for the order, they'll at some point give up and say, can you guys make this better? Are you guys different? Can you help me? And now who's selling who? So never ask for them, make the prospect give up. You're trying to ask them enough questions where they self-discover, I want to change. Now it's my idea, not the salesperson's idea. Does that make sense? Yeah. So how does that, like, do you, can you think of a, of a good example of how that would translate to like an advisor customer interaction? Yeah. So I think that because it's a shorter, faster thing, let's, let's, let's say there's not five items on the rim process. Let's just say um, they're in for a power steering um, belt and we want to talk about the power steering service. And so let's just make it simple. So Mrs. Johnson, thanks for coming in. We'll, we'll get that belt changed for you and figure that out. Um, I don't suppose I could share with you what others are doing while we're doing the belt, or do you want me to skip that with you? Skip that. If she says, no, go ahead, then I can say, well, let me run through this service we do alongside the belt, and then when I'm done, you tell me if you want to do it or not. I'm okay with either. I certainly don't want you to feel pressure. She goes, okay, and then you run through what the power steering service is, and then you don't say at the end, do you want to take care of that today? You might just say, do you want to skip that till next time? Or what are you thinking? And if she says, well, why don't I just do it while I'm here? She's the one that's selling, not me. It's just a fine line on attitude, behavior, and technique on how to do that. But you just don't have a closing move. It doesn't mean for those of you out there that say, do you want to go ahead and take care of that while you're here? That's not wrong. It works. But again, if you really get into the sales thing, if you can get the customers to say it, they'll be, they'll trust you more. So it's a really fine line. So when we talked the other day, you know, we talked a little about the RIM process and, you know, that's something that I and a lot of other guys do a lot of training on. Yes. 
and one of your comments was that you know it's that's a good process it's the lead up to the process that you think we could you could tweak to make it more effective like how how do you envision a an advisor you know just introducing the the rim presentation to a customer yeah in the simplest form you could just get permission to go through what you've uncovered during the inspection or the multi-point inspection. Hey, Mr. Johnson, we did a multi-point inspection. Do you want me to go through it line by line or big picture? You pick. Hey, Mr. Johnson, we did a walk around and just inspected some things for maintenance on your, on your, your car. Do you want to go through those or should I skip it or wait till next time? I'm okay with either. It's, Again, Casey, don't hear my words. Everyone has their own style with words. It's the concept of it's okay not to. And do we actually give that, offer that as an option? I'd almost encourage people to put more pressure on that side of it so they actually believe you. And what happens is the byproduct is a lot of times they'll say, yeah, go ahead. What did you, what'd you find? And then you do it again. Well, let me run through this process. And then when we're done, you tell me if you want to take care of these, any of these today or wait till next time. I'm okay with either don't want you to feel pressure. See, those are just words that car sales and cars fixed upside don't say to customers. And so when they do, the customer actually subconsciously says, I can trust this person. They don't ever tell us some bit, some, some people do, but they don't, they, it's something they feel and think. And, it, and what are they feeling and thinking? This guy is different than everybody else, and I can trust him. He's not trying to sell me what I don't need. Right. You're you're proceeding with this the uh, the presentation on the customer's terms. I mean, is really what it comes right. down to. Right. You know, and we we haven't we could get into behavior styles, Casey, and that's probably an advanced level to really pick up what's the behavior style of that customer. But I've, I heard, I don't know if it was Casey Stanton or somebody else said, um, hey, Mr. Johnson, I've got your multi-inspection we went through. Are you more in the weeds? You want each detail or you just want high level, big picture? See, there's some behavior styles out there, Casey, that say, ah, just big picture. And they just want the big picture and the number and they'll either do it or not. Some people really want each line item explained. So it sounds like you've spent some time out in the field with some of the guys that you work with uh, in dealerships and things like that. I mean, is that is that the case? I can't be a shift, Casey. I haven't since the Jiffy Lube days when we got down on our knee and we just hard sold to try to get another $30 a car. <laughs> <laughs> Which they're famous for. Yep. yep. I can't imagine having what I'm talking to about here. If I could have had it back there in that decade of, of, of the Jiffy Lube days, man, I would have built a lot more trust. There's no doubt. Because I know people dreaded coming in because they knew we were going to get down on our knee and sell them stuff. I hated it. But it was what it was. We had to. I'm sure. Um, do you get feedback from the guys that you work with? Like a lot of this stuff is contrary to, you know, at least at least initially, it seems contrary to some of the traditional ways that people have trained, you know, yeah, yeah. been trained. Um, do the guys ever run into, you know, negative feedback and objections from their customers, like if they're training their advisors and stuff like that? Well, um, it's a battle every day for me and them because it's such a change to the Marco Polo. 
And it's, it's a lot more comfortable not to sell BG than it is to get permission to talk about it. So there's a couple different levels. One level is to do nothing. And that's why people go in with the revenue reports and there's not much activity. Then if you can get people just at least ask, it goes to a level. But if you can get people to start getting a hold of no's okay, they start selling stuff they've never believed. Let me give you an example. I've, I've heard of a guy that sold five BG services in a month and now he sells five by noon with this process. So yes, Casey, it's not for everybody. It's a struggle. People like Casey Stanton are becoming heat up with it. He believes in it. So he's trying to teach it to advisors, but he's running, he'll run into uncomfortableness, pushback. We call it head trash and, and self-esteem issues. They're, they're uncomfortable with themselves and they believe the customer won't buy for it. But see, that's us getting in the way. Then I run across some BG guys that hear this way, but they keep going back doing what they want to do because they believe in it. It's okay. It's just like a tech who doesn't believe in BG. We're not for everybody. And this process isn't for everybody. So yes, there's always going to be pushback out there. Why? Belief and self-esteem. It, it seems like a lot of the the Sandler tactics, I mean, it's almost like a, a golf swing where yep. there's so much yeah. to think about <laughs> going into that scenario. I, oh my I God. know it would be very difficult, you know, at least when you're new to put all of these different components together. That's it. Casey, it's funny you bring up the golf analogy. We didn't talk about this, but I've been studying the single plane golf swing for the last couple of years, which trying to break my habits of the dual plane. Most people play dual plane. That's what you see on TV. And I'm trying to study the single plane and uh, it's, it jacks with me. I, I know what I need to do, but my body won't do it. Sometimes it's just uncomfortable. I think it's well, what it's uncovering is that you know, as sales guys, a lot of what we do is we, we rely on our, our conversational instincts, you know, yeah. and, and yeah. training that you've been through in the past serves to sort of uh, curb your natural instincts in those situations. But how, how do guys really just get, I mean, obviously practice, but what are, what are some of the ways that guys really get this, their heads wrapped around this and start you know, doing it correctly and in, in those, you know, high pressure yeah. scenarios. Once, once they have the open mind to do it, it's easy to, to, cause you're right. They got to practice um, with their BG rep. They practice, they get on phone calls and we role play and do all that kind of stuff. But Casey, that's not the problem. The real problem is the desire to want to be more effective and fish on the service drive. It's the desire to make more money. You know, some advisors, if there's not an incentive to sell BG, that's going to be tough. Why would they do it? Mm -hmm. uh, I, I'd like to believe people just want to maintain people's cars for the love of the business, but that's not real. Sometimes you got to have that incentive. I hear sometimes techs want to recommend it, but the advisor doesn't recommend it or the tech doesn't want to do it, even though the advisor recommends it. I've heard them all, but it all comes down to the desire, the leadership in the independent, the leadership in the shop and the dealership. Do they have the desire to grow that maintenance side of that business? And what's that desire? Why is that? If you can tap into that game, the techniques and the behavior, we can do that. It's all that attitude stuff. Man, well, Brad, I'm sorry if we jumped around all over the place, but uh, I'm used to it. Get you being on, and I, I love that <laughs> kind of stuff. You know, the 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 theory behind sales and stuff, I think, is fascinating, and it, especially when you think back on all the good and bad sales calls you've had over the years, it's, it's funny to, to see how some of these techniques would have played into those. Yeah. 
that's a common thing. We all go back and say, what if we could have, should have, would have. That doesn't matter. It's that some of you guys are going to have conversations this afternoon that you're hearing this. And uh, if I can get you to think different about it, then we can figure out how to do it. It's, it's the why first, then the what and the how. We can change this industry, man. Now, if guys are curious about going deeper on on Sandler tactics, I mean, it, where do you recommend they start, and how do they uh, how do they get in contact with the Sandler training rep if they wanted to go? You know, yeah, I, I appreciate that question. Um, I would go to sandler.com, and that's that's the easiest way to do that. And there'll be that'll there's probably a locator finder. There's a Sandler person that's pretty close to you, probably. Where there's 250 of us around the world. And um, that could be that. That's probably the politically correct thing to say. Then if somebody says, hey, you've been around some of these BG guys, I just want to have a conversation with you, Brett. Um, Casey, I don't know how you would publish that, but I'm at bbaker at sandler.com. And uh, either way, conversations don't cost anything. So right, that's the part. Well, I'll uh, I'll include your your email in the uh, the description of the episode. So if guys want to contact you, you can look for it there. Yeah, cool, man. Again, thanks, Brett. Really appreciate the conversation and you know all the hard work that you've put in with BG over the past few years. Yeah, Casey and I appreciate you having this podcast for these guys just to keep pushing this industry to a level to take care of customers. It's awesome. Very cool. Thank you. Well, stay safe out there, man. All right. See you, man. Bye.